Trisha said that her thing was working today. We just got the the notifications. The notifications. Welcome to the party, the Black Panther party. Hello, James. Oh, why is that not muted? And welcome. To oh, no. <laughs> oh, I fixed it, though. We good. We good. So how's everybody doing today? Oh, you know. No, I don't. That's why I was asking. No, you literally do. You're like the only one out of the group that actually does know. Indeed. Well, uh, welcome everyone to the For We Are Many podcast. Today we are doing our fourth part in our mini series on the Black Panther Party and dialectical materialism. Um, as most of you already know, we are reading from Bobby Seale's book, is called seize the time the story of the black panther party so we're kind of we're kind of like you know getting the um the, the the gist of what the party was about from the horse's mouth so to speak does anybody remember what chapter eldridge joins right yeah the paper panthers that's right okay so we yeah are, yeah yeah we are on page 68. I will uh, have the link in the comments right now. You can find the book. Actually, hold on. Let me comment that from the page so I can pin it. I commented it as myself. Ugh. Page 68. Yes. Crash, 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 crash. Are being transformed into reality by modern science. Pen. There we go. Okay, so now the uh, hello Emily and Natalie. Um, so now the now the top comment, the pinned comment is um, the link to the book. So that should help everybody out. We are on page 68 in that PDF. Uh, that will also be in the show notes on the podcast platforms. Um, our Patreon is live, has been for a while now. 
Uh, any donation really helps you guys. You might not think that we put a lot into this, but a lot of time goes into it and you know, we're running it entirely out of our own pockets. I'm not doing the Elon bit anymore. Yeah. But Grimes, baby, if you're listening. Okay, I'm on page 68 now. Uh, before we get rolling, though, uh, last week we listened to what Bobby had to say before we started. Uh, this time it's a little less specific, I guess, but um, we're going to be listening to Fred Hampton. Not necessarily talking about the, the party itself, but revolution more generally. I wish we could start this off with Gil Scott Heron. You, uh, you screen sharing? What? You get, you're gonna, you're gonna share that, that video? Oh, my bad, bro. <laughs> ah, for the same type of thing that we are for stimulating revolution in the, in the mother country. And we said that we would work with anybody and form coalition with anybody that has revolution on their mind. We're not a racist organization because we understand that racism is an excuse used for capitalism. And we know that racism is just is, is a byproduct of capitalism. Everything would be all right if everything was put back in the hands of the people. And we're going to have to put it back in the hands of the people. Everybody in the state of Illinois we're gonna have to be involved or even around the real because we don't have one. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to do more than talk. We're gonna have to do more than listen. We're gonna even have to do more than learn. We're gonna have to start practicing and that's very hard. We got to start learning and you learn through practice. We got to start making mistakes and you learn through making mistakes. We got to start getting out there with the people. And a lot of times we think we're better than the people, but that's an insult and that's criminal. Think you're better than the people. We got to get together and learn where it's at. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Especially for children, it's something else. You ought to dig on it. All, every sister in this, in this, in this, in this, uh, in this audience, I'm, every sister in this audience, ought to get themselves together and come on down and help us with that breakfast for children program. Y'all to come down and help feed them children in the morning. We have breakfast for children because we teach the people through practice, through observation and participation, that people can be fed free. That's the people thing. Socialism is the people. You're afraid of yourself. If you're afraid of socialism, you're afraid of yourself. We know they have our pictures. We know they're looking for us. We know they want us. But we're still saying that even though we could be fit, as far as this system goes, on the mountaintop, we in the Black Panther Party because of our dedication and understanding what's in the valley, knowing that the people in the valley, knowing that we originally came from the valley, knowing that our flag is the same flag as the people in the valley, knowing that our enemy is on the mountaintop, our friends are in the valley. We say even though it's nice to be on the mountaintop, we're going back to the valley. <laughs> I've been office every day. I'd be in the streets propagandizing every day. I'd be working with everybody every day. I'd be teaching that solidarity is the thing. 
the end of a complete wipeout of imperialism is the thing. So if you're going to be thinking about me, that's what Bobby would be teaching. If you're going to be thinking about us, all we say is we don't, ain't no thing about going nowhere, getting killed. All we want to know is that you're doing what we'd be doing if we were here. And you've got to do that. You can't do it unless you believe that you can do it. In the spirit of liberation, we understand that they want everybody in the party in jail. And we know that if we try to figure out and separate and divide who should go and who shouldn't go, we spend more time doing that than working for the people. So the quick solution, the speedy one, nobody goes. Nobody go. Nobody go. Nobody go. We all stay right here. We all stay right With the people. With the people. Because we love the people. Because we love the people. Okay, you can put your hands down now. We say all power to all people. We say white power to white people. White power to white people. Brown power to brown people. Brown power to brown Yellow power to yellow people. Black power to black people. X power for those that we left out. X power for those we left out. We say Panther power to the Vanguard Party. When you, when, when you leave here, leave here saying the last word. Before you go to bed tonight, say I am a revolutionary. Make that the last word. In case you don't wake up, then somebody might believe it and you might, you know, end up in a, what they call it, revolutionary happy hunting ground. <laughs> say that. Say I am a revolutionary. I am a revolutionary. Say it when you're going out. Okay, we're gonna say it while we're going out. Hey, we done found a thing called free friend. Don't that sound nice? Hey, let's do that. Free friend. Free friend. Free friend. Free friend. Free friend. Hey, I ain't even in jail yet. <laughs> oh man, that ending there was great. Man, I ain't even in jail yet. Free Fred. Ugh, that video quality was atrocious, but damn it, the message. Right, the message is beautiful. All power to all the people. Any new comments? Rest in power, Fred Hampton. Amen to that. No new comments? All right, moving into the book. To the book. We are at the top of page 68. The party grows. Eldridge joins. The uh, section's titled The Paper Panthers. In San Francisco, there was a group of cultural nationalists who had named themselves the Black Panther Party of Northern California. We called them the Paper Panthers. David Milliard first called them that. Their name, the Paper Panthers, is directly related to Mao calling the coward running dogs of the imperialistic power structure of the West Paper Tigers. But there is also a more direct reason. We were called the Black, Par uh, the Black Panther Party for self-defense, and they, the cultural nationalists, called themselves the Black Panther Party of Northern California. We don't know who had the name first because around October 1966, around the time we had printed up our 10-point platform and program, they went and printed up something, maybe a periodical. 
we went to them and said, what are you doing for the community in regard to the revolutionary struggle? If you're doing something for the community in the revolutionary struggle, we'll join your set, but we don't see you doing it, so let us alone. They had printed something that was an attempt to cut us up intellectually. Roy Ballard came over to our office and gave us a long line that the Northern California branch of the Black Panther Party, these cultural nationalists, were having a conference in Hunter's Point, the large black ghetto over in San Francisco, a Malcolm X Memorial Day conference. This was held on the date Malcolm was assassinated. He asked if we would come over there and provide security for Betty Shabazz. He stood there and bragged about the fact that the Black Panther Party in Northern California had all kinds of brothers over in San Francisco with guns. In fact, he had 20 dudes with guns, he said. In that very first conversation, he mentioned 20 dudes. Then he mentioned 16 dudes for sure and said they were all ready and he wanted to know if we would bring 30 or 40 Panthers over. After we had talked about the fact that Betty Shabazz was coming to town and we wanted to have security for the sister and escort her around town, uh, Huey said that a small group of dudes was best, that we'd just bring over eight brothers at the most, and the most uh, he should have is another eight cats. But Ballard was running around talking to us like, man, we got more guns than that. We can bring all of them. He was trying to brag about numbers, but you could see through it. We said to ourselves that since these cats had decided to pick up guns, we could go forth and try to work with them. Huey always said we're ready to unite and work with any brothers anywhere because the name of an organization doesn't mean anything. It's what an organization is that's important. And if these guys finally had realized that we'd been on the street patrolling the cops already and had been trying to implement a program to educate black brothers, if these guys were ready to pick up the gun, if they were making an effort to do so, then we should work with them for the sake of unity in our black community. Roy Ballard went on and went off about or at the mouth and asked us to come to one of their meetings over in San Francisco. So we decided to get up and go on over to the meeting uh, about three or four days later at the Northern California branch of the Black Panthers Party's office, the Paper Panthers office. We got over there and there was nobody in the office. We drove around until somebody found out where Roy Ballard lived. We went to his house and waited up front. We drove, uh, he drove up and we went upstairs. He was talking to us and he was explaining about how we had eight men. We said, I thought you had 16, although we don't need but eight. <laughs> oh, well, he says, it ain't really but eight cats. He was explaining some more detail about this conference. He was trying to manipulate. But we were concerned about the changes in the amount of men he had, the brothers he had with guns. Well, the brother didn't have much to say that evening. Uh, no more than that, we're going to have to get together and have the gun laws checked out thoroughly. Huey P. Newton, of course, had checked out all of the gun laws very thoroughly because we read those books, law books and the penal code in the law section of the Legal Aid Service of the Poverty Center where we worked. And Huey was going to law school at night. But Roy Ballard made a big play about, he, uh, about how he was doing all this work in the black community for black people. And I suppose they did have some statistics down and all that kind of stuff. Another meeting was set for a few days later and this time we all went in our uniforms. Me, Huey, Bob, Bobby, Reginald Forte, Sherman Forte, and Orlando Harrison. We all got down our uniforms, the blue, sh the, the blue shirt, the black leather jacket, black pants, and black beret. They didn't mention the sunglasses. Are those optional? Or is that like rank insignia? 
I I really feel like the glasses were optional. Or or were they a sign of rank? I I don't know. Anyway, we loaded up and got and got out guns and things and went over to their office that evening about 9:30. We walked into the office and there was a bunch of what I've always known to be jive ass intellectuals sitting around. I'd run with some of them, Douglas Allen, Kenneth Freeman and the West Coast Underground, West Coast Underground RAM, and some other dudes that were just shits. Uh, the dudes whose doors I've uh, I've told about breaking in were just jives, like the cats that ran together. We're <laughs> sorry, we're just gonna have to get uptight on them and make them get together. And I said to myself, now who in the hell does he think he can make get together? So me and Huey and Bobby and Reggie and Sherman and Orleando, uh, and I think there was another brother with us, all sat down and listened. And after we had been there about 25 or 30 minutes, listening to them go through their little intellectual changes, feeding off of their ability to articulate, and as they put it, run it down to each other, looking at them like a bunch of armchair revolutionaries. I made a gesture to Roy Ballard and asked him when we were gonna settle this thing about uh, how we were gonna handle the escorting of sister Betty Shabazz. He said, in a minute, brother, in a minute, we're gonna take care of that. As an intellectual always does to a field. Oh, Don wasn't there. Radio edit. That was so delayed. Thank you, Sorry, bro. Edit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what I'm here for. Roy Ballard did come around to it in the context of his conversation with Kenny Freeman and the rest of the intellectuals in there. The point was that the conference was coming down and Betty Shabazz needed to be escorted here and the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense would handle the self-defense aspect of the operation. He asked us if we wanted to speak at the conference and Huey said, yeah, we'll speak. Vince Lynch said, that's good because you can go Kenny Freeman. I didn't know it later, but Eldridge was sitting in here too. I didn't know him then. Roy Ballard and Kenny Freeman and the others were all sitting in a circle and they seemed to be going through their everyday business. I remember Kenny Freeman saying some simple shit like if black people don't get into the history of self-defense. Huey said, I'll be talking about politics. Kenny Freeman popped up and said, do you want to speak on self-defense or politics? Like what, what kind of question is that? Yeah, do, they, the, do they not realize at this point that they're interconnected? Anyway, Huey said, it doesn't make any difference. They're both one and the same. Wow. <laughs> uh, they went through some intellectual changes with a few statements here and there. Roy Ballard, Kenny Freeman, and a couple of other people and came back to the same question that they had asked Huey about a minute ago. Do you want to speak on self-defense or politics? And Huey said, they're both the same thing. I'm talking, if I'm talking about self-defense, I'm talking about politics. And if I'm talking about politics, I'm talking about self-defense. You can't separate them. And they didn't understand uh, when Huey said, politics is war without bloodshed and war is politics with bloodshed, a continuation of politics with bloodshed. They didn't understand antagonistic contradictions and non-antagonistic contradictions both being lodged in the arena of politics. They didn't understand that the plight of the black people's struggle here in the confines of decadent America is a political military whole unified within itself. So I wanna interject here. Um, he, meaning Huey, directly uh, quoted Lenin, if I remember correctly. I, I believe that this line is uh, out of 
what is to be done? Politics is war without bloodshed, yada, yada, yada. So like, you know, he's trying to explain the world from a dialectical materialist standpoint to a bunch of people that probably at the time weren't capable of thinking beyond our political system. Not because they're stupid or anything like that, but because they simply haven't been exposed to it. Um, that's what I get out of that. But the uh, talking about the contradictions in society is, is um, quite profound and quite needed, really. Anyway, back to the book. Then Vincent Lynch said, you could talk about Nat Turner, then you can bring it up to date. You could talk about Brother Robert Williams. Then you could talk about the Deacons for Defense in Bogalusa, Louisiana. And <clears throat> you have that whole historical thing put together. Then we can speak about politics. And Huey said very firmly to all of them that we would speak. And when we speak, it won't make any difference if we're talking about self-defense or if we're talking about politics. If we're talking about politics and the survival of black people, it's the same thing. They finally decided to shut up. They didn't want to mess with Huey because Huey was sitting there with a big 12-gauge shotgun and he had his men all around him decked down sharper than a motherfucker, sharper than two tacks. <laughs> and Huey wasn't about to sit there and lollygag with these jive dudes who call themselves revolutionaries who didn't even have the understanding of integrating the gun for self-defense with politics. I'm pretty sure this is what frustrated Huey and made him not want to deal with those cats, but we tried to anyway. I made a gesture to Roy uh, Ballard to get on with the thing because we had come over to lay down some plans about operations for security for Betty Shabazz, and we wanted to know how many men they were going to provide. We got out, or we got up and went outside, and got, they got to talking about how they had five men with pieces and guns. They'd be loaded down, ready to go, and that they would let us know when Sister Betty Shabazz was coming in. They talked to me and Huey alone. They told us that she would be coming in on a Monday, so we split. And then we got a phone call from them Monday saying that we would have to come over there. So we rushed over and they told us that she'd be there Thursday. When we got over there on Thursday to the North Northern California branch of the Black Panther Party, Roy Ballard, Kenny Freeman, Isaac Moore, and Douglas Allen were there, along with some other cats. We come to find out one of them was a special radio edit. Hey, Huey says, look, we are not going to go and give any security to Betty Shabazz with pigs around with radio edit cops around i don't give a damn if they're black or white they're cops for the system one of these guys said yeah but he's blacker than you he's blacker than you i said it doesn't make any difference we aren't going with any pigs and that's all there is to it and huey p newton said we aren't going with any of them that's not possible we can't function with cops in any way kenny freeman called huey to the side and told him that he didn't know uh, Roy Ballard had set this up. So I said, how many guns do you have? They said five. I said, when Roy Ballard first came over and uh, he come talking about 20 men with guns, then the next statement he made before he left that first time was 16 with guns. And after that, he says he has eight with guns. And after that, he has five with guns. Now, I wonder if you guys got any guns at all or anybody with guns. You've been talking this shit. So have you got anybody at all with guns or not? 
And Huey said, right on. You be here and have some guns with you tomorrow or what you guys think you're handling in terms of security. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense will take over and will handle the whole damn thing if you aren't here with guns. You better here, be here with loaded guns right down to the gills. And Kenny Freeman got up tight. Okay, yeah, man. Yeah, man. We'll be here tomorrow, man. We've got five cats with guns, man, to go along with this operation, man. That's a lot of man. Sorry, I got like frantic <laughs> there. <laughs> It's a lot of man. Uh, so we all got together. We got eight brothers together and came over on Thursday. Just before we left, they said Sister Betty was arriving at San Francisco airport somewhere around 1.30 or 2 p.m. We got over there around noon. Douglas Allen, a cat who named Leo, who had an M1, and Isaac Moore with an M1 were there. Kenny Freeman says, hey, man, you know these brothers here, man? They got their stuff with them, man, and they're ready. Everything is cool. And I think Roy Ballard's got a piece with him. And he said, I thought you were gonna have five cats, man. Well, man, we've got, man, I can like hear this voice in, his, in my head for, for, who is this? Kenny Freeman. Well, man. It's just the personality type of always has excuses. Like, well, man, um. <laughs> well, and the overuse of man in his excuses. <laughs> like, right. Oh my god. <laughs> Kinda reminds me of Jake. <laughs> oh god, I was thinking the same thing. Why'd you have to say it? <laughs> Sorry. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well man, Truth, I, uh, I, I just thought about the time told. that me, Don, and LB went to hash bath hash bash with Jake and like the excuses afterwards about why. Here's your he first didn't... mistake. Well, right. <laughs> why he didn't pay us. Yeah, he was gonna pay LB. He was gonna pay LB for gas, and didn't. and then he was gonna pay us for some things, and didn't. Anyway, well, man, we've got but, these cats yeah. here, right offhand, and I myself, I'm gonna be there, you know. And Douglas Allen, you know, he's gonna be there, so everything's cool, everything's all right. I said, yeah, man, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to talk to him anymore because I just didn't dig the dudes. They were intellectual jivers, intellectual cultural nationalists, punk motherfuckers who sit in a fucking armchair and try to articulate the revolution while black people are dying in the streets. Huey defined him very well. Huey said, I see Kenny Freeman as a dude who wants to compete with everything that's going on. That's the only thing that satisfies his little chicken shit egos to sit and compete. Dude, that is a personality type for real. And that is Jake, I swear to God. That is Jake. That is Jake, yes. Real quick, I want you guys to know that when I'm picturing this going down, dude is sitting there and, like, moving like this as he's talking. Like, well, man, let me tell you something, man. Like, we got these dudes, man. Got these dudes, man. And, like, we're going to have guns, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Man figured. All of all of the awkward. All of the awkward. Totally moving around and saying man and kind of squinting, but there's no reason he should be squinting at you. Yeah. We all loaded down in cars, caravan fashion. We had our guns, and Kenny Freeman, Leo, Isaac Moore, and Douglas Allen were all in another car, and Roy Ballard was in a third car. Five of them. We told them to have five guns with them, but they wound up, from what I saw, only having three guns. Uh, Roy Ballard flashed his little 25 caliber pistol sitting in his belt. I didn't know and, that was uh, a thing. I didn't either. Huey and I didn't have any faith in 25 caliber pistols because they could get you killed. 
I don't know how what that means. Yeah, I have no context because I didn't know that a .25 caliber existed, man. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, it's bigger than a twenty-two. <laughs> Barely. It is bigger than a five-five-six, but it's probably you know got very little powder in it. I forgot that my microphone is that good. Anyway, <laughs> our eight dudes and their five dudes loaded up in the cars and drove to the San Francisco airport. And I noticed one thing as we got to the front of the term terminal. Kenny Freeman was in a car behind us, a white station wagon. He got out of the car. It was three or four blocks down from the terminal drive, but I could see him stopping the car and getting out of it. He got out of the car. Then all the brothers piled out with their guns because we drove up there, gun showing and everything. I noticed that Leo and Isaac Moore Kenny Freeman's boys were just about 30 feet away from us with their two M1s. Then a pig came out, a head, plainclothes pig. Huey saw him and some other pigs coming, so Huey told everybody like he always tells the brothers, don't nobody say nothing. I'll do the talking because we don't want too many people trying to say something at one time. So the pig came and asked, what are you doing with these guns? And Huey said, well, you're a cop. What are you doing with your guns? Then a uniformed black pig walked out and said, what's he doing with this gun? Is that loaded? And Huey said, if I know it's loaded, that's good enough. Where, well, where are you going? The plainclothes pig asked. And Huey said, we're going to the airport to get our sister Betty Shabazz. Why? If you understand Huey, you know Huey wasn't answering his questions as if he had to answer them. Huey was giving orders to me to get the brothers and sisters together because he knew what he was gonna do. He knew what the party was there for. He knew what the delegation was there for and that's all there was to it. And stupid Roy Ballard walks up humbly and meekly. Why should we all have this argument? Sure, you, sir, you should read the autobiography of Malcolm X and you can understand while, while, why we are here with these guns. And Huey said, oh man, I'll do the talking. You go on back. Wait a minute, Huey, wait a minute. Let me explain it to him. Ah, man, the more that I read about this, like these people in general, it's like it's a whole group of people I don't like. Not not the Black Panther Party, the Paper Panthers. Anyway, Huey said, hey. this is absurd. How do you explain to a racist, ignorant bastard cop, cops of the power structure who are behind the killing of Mac Malcolm X, who killed black people, and who are here to try to tell you that you can't go anywhere. This is no time to stop and read the autobiography. And Roy, uh, Ray Ballard was still in a humble and meek manner, trying to explain to the cop that he would understand us if he read our brother's book when the pigs in America were glad Malcolm was dead. The man said, well, you can't go into the airport. What do you mean we can't go into the airport? We have to be able to go in and meet our sister there, Betty Shabazz, the brother said. And he was like, be quiet, we're going in the airport. This is public property and you cannot deny us our constitutional rights just because we've got guns. We're going in whether you like it or not. I'm going to exercise my constitutional rights and the Panthers here are gonna exercise their constitutional rights and that's all there is to it. And the pig said, but, and Huey, Huey interrupted him saying, this is public property. And the pig said, well, it's private property and you're not. And Huey said, even if it is private property, if it accommodates more than 200 people at a time, then any citizen has a right to exercise his rights in it. So get out of our way. We're going inside, whether you like it or not, swine. 
And I just want to point out that this actually, I, I just drew a parallel in my mind. We marched, Trisha probably remembers this, during Occupy, we marched to City Hall. Uh, Rick Snyder was speaking in the little like weird auditorium they have in the back of City Hall. And we tried, you know, walking up the back way because we wanted to be heard, right? Well, we got met by some cops and they were trying to tell us that it was private property. City fucking hall, dude. They were trying to tell us the city fucking hall was private property. And we're just like, oh, really? Is it? Is it really? If it is, <laughs> if it is, then it's the private property of all of us whose taxes pay for the motherfucker and maintain the motherfucker. Right. Oh, my God. That was a that was a fun day. Right. Like, dude, the <laughs> there's probably still videos on YouTube of it. Like we showed up and there was two cops there. Right. Like, I mean, that came out to greet us. I'm sure there was more inside, whatever. But like then what was it like six or seven state police cars were there in like three minutes. It was it was stupid. And it was like, literally, it was like me, Trisha, uh, Denise, uh, Shadid, and Quentin, I think. Maybe Jake. It wasn't a very big group. It was like, it was like six Great. adults, two kids, and Revolution is six months old puppy. Like. Right. It was totally necessary to bring in. They needed lots of backup for the hippies. Uh, anyway, that's, that's how they hey, roll because they think they can be intimidating numbers in case. Oh, Jaron was there because Jaron was the one that was like, "This is not private property." <laughs> hey, Rob, what? I'm going to use the bathroom real quick. Um, right, I, I've proofread ahead of time. There isn't a spot that I can see where I'm going to need to say radio edit. But just in case, there are comments that we have missed. Ah, well, I, uh, they're not even showing on mine. That's weird. Hold on, let me refresh the page. Oh, yeah, there was six comments and now there's 20. Oh, damn. <laughs> no more Elon, buddy? Yeah. Maybe instead of radio edit, look on the Googler store for a bad words beeping tool. <laughs> and Natalie said it might be easier using one. You could be onto something there. Calvin said, what's up? How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. Started a new job this week. That's exciting. Uh, James said, I know someone that had a 25. It was weak. I'm not surprised. Ron said 25 autos, as I remember it, were pretty common Saturday night specials that you could get cheap during that period. And that makes sense. And that's probably why the Black Panther Party didn't want them. Why would they downgrade from a fucking M1 or a 45 to a fucking 25? Um, Ron said the they could get you killed was probably a reference to how cheaply they were right. made and just as likely to malfunction than to actually shoot straight. I don't doubt that at all. Uh, James said tiny and couldn't chip the paint off plastic just to scare someone with the sound, I think. <laughs> that makes sense. I think you're probably on, I think you're probably <laughs> onto something there, James. From the sounds of it, that's probably pretty accurate. Anyway, meanwhile, 
Isaac Moore and Leo were standing 30 feet or more away from us with two M1s in their hands. Ballard was running around flapping at the jibs. He didn't know what he was doing. And Huey said, all right, brothers, in a column of twos, get together. Bobby put them in a column of twos. So I put everybody in a column of twos. To Leo and Isaac, I said, come on, you dudes, come on up here and get in the column of twos. And they hesitated and Huey is still checking this pig. And all of a sudden about 20 pigs spread out around us in the streets out there. But Huey P. Newton wouldn't let that phase him at all. Of course he wouldn't. Why would he? <laughs> uh, because he knew he had a shotgun and he knew he had some brothers with him. He knew his constitutional rights and he was going to make sure that people got down to the nitty gritty of things. So Huey is talking with the pig, telling him we're, gonna, we're going inside anyway and also trying to make Roy Ballard be quiet and shut up because Roy didn't know what he, what he was doing. He didn't know how to handle the racist and Huey did. We got in a column of twos and Huey said, let's go. We started moving and finally I got Leo and Isaac Moore to fall in, uh, in the rear with me. Huey was in front. The first thing Leo and Isaac started complaining about was, man, get the sisters out of here. Get the sisters out of here. I said, why? We got guns, we can defend ourselves. Man, if they start shooting, man, it's bad enough to have to protect ourselves, let alone having to protect them too. And I said, I heard that one of the sisters has a pistol in her purse and she isn't worried. Don't worry about it. Uh, Leo was overly concerned about the sisters being in the columns of twos. Uh, Leo and Isaac were holding the M1s and at the same time, I didn't know that these M1s were not even loaded. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Like what good do you expect it to fucking do for you if you don't even have it loaded? I mean, it's pretty heavy. It could be a blunt force weapon, but it's much more effective as a firearm. <laughs> if you're being shot at, you're likely not close enough to use it as a blunt force weapon, you know? It'd be hard. You'd have to run up on somebody who's shooting at you. That takes <laughs> balls of steel, which, granted, the Panthers had some balls of steel, but still. <laughs> I mean, dude, all of them were, from what I'm seeing, all of them were pretty ballsy, but Huey just gave no fucks. Like, I no mean, I, I feel yeah. like I feel like he knew that he was literally looking death in the face every time a situation like this happened, and he didn't fucking care. Yep. And I yep. mean, at first, it, when I was first starting to read this, like I related to it, but at the same time, I kind of felt like it was like, like he had a death wish or something. But no, he was that passionate about protecting his comrades about educating the people that don't know any better. That and I think he was looking at it from a... Well, he was looking at it from a realistic perspective, too, of the likelihood of being killed just through... Still is. Um, so it's just a matter of coming to acceptance with that if you're going to push for your rights in the face of cops who are coming after you fucking ready to kill you. Right. Um, later on, I could see how this, how his over-concern about the sisters being there and standing 30 feet away related directly to the fact that they did not have loaded weapons. We all went up into the terminal and some of the pigs were walking around us. They were following us and they were also walking in front of us, but we just barged our way over uh, this so-called co head cop or sheriff. They have these little security type sheriff guys out there at the San Francisco airport. 
We went inside and upstairs, and from there we went all the way down to the particular gate we were supposed to be at. Brother Hakeem Jamal, Malcolm's cousin by marriage, had gone to check out the exact time Sister Betty was going to arrive. Jamal came back, and by that time we were in the lobby section. It's like a hallway about 20 feet wide, and that's where the gate area is. We walked around, we walked inside the gate area, and all the brothers sat down. Little Joe, Orlando Harrison, Bobby Hutton, me and Huey, and three or four other brothers, along with the punks, intellectual jive motherfucking cultural nationalists, Isaac Moore, Leo, and Roy Ballard. Kenny Freeman had gotten out of his car and was way, way down the street, three blocks away. He'd gotten out just before the confrontation had started. I don't know who he thought he was fooling because I heard later on that he was planning strategic security. How, what the hell is strategic about that? I get to do my job. Oh, but hold He's on, man. <laughs> no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got a button, man. Do you? Yes. Yes. All yes. uh, right. Let me let me make this window smaller so I. There can... we go. <laughs> there we go. What? We've come into the 21st century now, Rob. <laughs> that we have, Don. Rob's got a button. I do have a button. <laughs> okay. I, now where I am I? I would just I? like to throw in here that I love how much shade you're throwing. Oh, dude! Right. Okay, where, oh yeah, that was just scared. That wasn't coming up there at all. That's why he had those dudes running around there carrying unloaded guns. John George, a lawyer they knew, had suggested that they carry unloaded guns and they went and did it, but they didn't tell us that. Huey doesn't believe in anybody carrying unloaded guns. Like, that's like wearing a rubber all day and taking it off when you get laid. You mean that's not what you're supposed oh my to God. do? <laughs> I've been doing it wrong this time. How do I make this window stay on top? There's a way to do that, right? Ah, eh, whatever. I tried. Um, We were waiting for the plane to come to the gate area. While we waited, something happened. Those pigs were all outside in this 20 foot aisle to the gate section. And some old pig came over and acted like he was gonna take a picture of us. Huey walked up to him and said, don't take any pictures. People began to look. So Huey said, we're not gonna let them take any pictures. I walked over and stood in front of the pig with the camera more or less to block him to keep him from being able to take pictures. And then Huey said, if you take any pictures, we're gonna take your camera away from you and then we're gonna smash it. The pig acted as if he still wanted to take pictures. So Huey said, all right, people, you see this drive racist cop over here? He's trying to provoke something. We told him not to take any pictures. And if he takes any pictures, he's gonna provoke something. That's where it's gonna start at right now. The other pigs got to looking around, uh, got to looking and said, come on, Joe. Come on, Joe, beckoning for this pig with the camera to come on out to the far end of the lobby section. You they think decided. His last name was Swanson. <laughs> Before he was in a wheelchair. Before he was in a wheelchair. 
Uh, beckoning for this pick with the camera, I already said that. They decided they didn't want to take any pictures because Huey P. Newton wasn't jiving around. He had that shotgun in his hand and he was letting people know where it's at. I noticed Isaac Moore and Leo standing over uh, away from us. They were standing next to the wall together. We were kind of spread out, but they got away from us. We waited for Sister Betty Shabazz. The plane came up to the gate and let the people off. And as soon as she came out, we surrounded her. Brother Hakeem, uh, Hakeem Jamal was there and uh, we surrounded the sister and began to walk out. The pigs, I don't know what the hell they thought they were doing. were walking uh, out around us, acting as though they were security, but we had as many guns as they did. We came outside and Sister Betty said, who are these fellows here? And Jamal answered, uh, these are some brothers for the Black Panther Party from for surf defense. I'm pretty sure that's a typo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, self-defense. What yeah. the? I saw that too. Yeah, like, wait a minute. Although, although it's a really excellent accident there. Because think about it. The serfs are, you know, the poor and working class. And they literally served as, you know, self-defense for the poor and working class. So it's kind of a beautiful fuck up there, whoever typed it. I'm so not used to doing like reactions and comments from my computer. Anyway, I noticed that Leo and those cats were nil on gun laws and the way the party was functioning. One time Isaac Moore had his gun level and people were walking by in front of his gun. At the time I was still thinking that the guns were loaded, but he had it leveled and kind of dropped it very relaxed. When he was pointing the gun at people, he wasn't paying any attention to it. And I said to him, man, don't you point that gun at nobody like that. A loaded weapon. I said, that's assault with a deadly weapon. Whether you're doing it maliciously or not, you get charged on a bullshit ticket if the cops out here knew the law. They don't just, they just don't know the law. Pull that gun up. Then he was uh, getting Betty Shabazz into the car. I saw Isaac Moore when he put his gun in the car. He put his gun in and slid it under the seat. We didn't carry guns like that, sliding them under the seat. It was very necessary at that time to carry our guns in the open because it was exhausting, uh, a means of being able to carry guns that way. And at the same time, educating the masses of black people about the necessity for guns and how self-defense was politically related to their survival and their liberation. Anybody want to read for a minute? Or for that matter, anybody, including the people in the comments, have anything to say? No? I was waiting for you to check comments if, if there's oh, no there's, comments to reply to them. There currently is, there? is not. Uh, besides, okay. Natalie said, I'm still not there, guys. Technology is not up to par in this house and location. Right on. Good old rural living, I would assume. The next right. section is titled Confrontation <laughs> at the Ramparts. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to get the beep, you know? Yeah, I got it. Hey, uh, I'm going to put the, the link to the beep button in the Zoom chat. So that way, if you guys need the beep button, we all have the beep button. Hey, hey. I want one that does the, uh, the Shiba Inu wow. Wow! 
Don't judge oh me. Anyway, I'm judging you. confrontation at the ramparts. We got into the cars and we drove back to the ramparts office on Broadway in the middle of downtown San Francisco. We got to Ramparts and went inside. Douglas Allen was sitting there looking like he was sick and scared and didn't know where the fuck to go. I can't blame him for being scared. There were just too many damn people with guns there. I don't know where Kenny Freeman had disappeared to and Isaac Moore was hanging around somewhere. I stationed two brothers outside, little Joe outside on the right of the steps and this other brother on the left of the steps. He had a 45 and little Joe had an M1. We then went inside. There were some interviews scheduled. So Huey was with sister Betty all, all the way inside the Ramparts office down the hall where she was talking to Eldridge Cleaver, whose writings on Malcolm X she had admired. I made periodical runs between Huey where he was with sister Betty and Eldridge Cleaver all the way back to the front door. I came to the front door one time and a couple of pigs had driven up, stood right th- right on top of the landing in front of the steps and a pig walked up to little Joe and said, who are you? Little Joe, little Joe said, I, I got nothing to say to you. And if you have anything to ask me, I'm taking the fifth amendment, just like that. The pig said, well, all right. And when he got up beside me, I was looking dead at him, looking firmly right, looking firm right in his eyes. Kind of took a couple of steps up from the bottom steps and said, who's the leader? I said, I'm one of them. Why? Well, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, God damn it. I don't want to talk to you. So can you go away from here? And he said, oh, and turned around and walked away. Then more pigs drove up. They were playing clothesmen. Sorry, guys. I got to scroll. <laughs> they looked at little Joe. He looked like he was too young to be carrying a weapon, but they didn't say anything else to him. Three or four more pigs drove up, so I called for a couple more brothers to come outside and then walked halfway down the hall. Betty Shabazz was about to come out. I walked all the way to the front, and there were four or five pigs outside. A few minutes earlier, Lieutenant Pig had asked Warren Hinkle, the editor of Ramparts, what the trouble was. He said, when he said, what's the trouble? He pointed our way. We were standing out front of the inside door to the office. There's no trouble here, Hinkle said to the pig lieutenant. Everything's under control. That seemed to make the pigs mad. They couldn't do anything to us because the person whose place we were in had no objection to our having guns there. We weren't doing anything illegal. I remember Sister Betty saying she didn't want any cameras, and Huey said, if you don't want any cameras on you, that's all right. But of course, by this time, a TV cameraman had shown up, ABC Channel 7, and Chuck Banks, the news reporter, came inside. As as I was coming inside, they were bringing Sister Betty out, and I was kind of in front there. I grabbed a magazine from a stack of magazines in the hall and used it to block the cameras. He he grabbed a magazine, too. We came outside. I was holding this magazine up in front of the cameras, and then all of a sudden, Kenny Freeman popped up somewhere. He had Sister Betty surrounded. We had Sister Betty surrounded, but then Douglas Allen popped up from somewhere, and somehow he's walking with her. 
scrolling again. <laughs> Even before we came out, the cameraman tried smashing in. They tried breaking in, and that's when Warren, Warren Tucker pushed them down the stairs. Then they tried taking a picture of one of the Panthers who pushed them away with a gun. They had already been trying to provoke something to get an incident going. Then as we came out, I walked out first. I was holding a magazine in front of a camera about a foot away from it. And Huey came out with Sister Betty and Douglas Allen and Kenny Freeman from the Paper Panthers. While she was coming down the stairs around front, the TV dude snatched at the book I was holding and I snatched it back. Then Huey put his magazine in front of the camera and Chuck Banks grabbed hold of Huey's magazine and pushed the book down into Huey's stomach. He didn't get his blow in good enough, but he did strike Huey. When he struck Huey in the stomach like that, Huey wasn't phased a bit. He let the magazine go and fired on Chuck Banks's head and knocked him back against a wall and against the man who was holding the Channel 7 camera. Then I looked around and saw all these pigs. I saw one of them unstrap his little strap that holds holds down the firing hammer on his 38. And I said, Huey, cool it, man. Let's split up, man. I grabbed Huey's jacket on his right arm. <clears throat> Don't hold my hand, brother, he said. So I let, him, I let go of his right arm right away. Or, sorry. I let go of his arm right away because I know that's his shooting hand, his right hand. Then I said, come on, bro, let's split up. But Huey said, all right, all you pigs, all you cops, that man assaulted me. Now, why in the hell don't you arrest him? Arrest that man. Come on, bro, let's split, I said. Then a couple more of these cops flipped the little straps off the hook, their pistol hammers, and another brother came down and said, Come on, Huey. Let's back on up here and get out of here, man. One of the brothers had his back turned on the pigs, and I guess Huey saw the cops pulling the straps off the hammers all of a sudden. So Huey says, turn around. Don't turn. Oh, sorry. That wasn't a question. That was a statement. Turn around. Don't turn your back on these back shooting motherfuckers. Just like that. We all turned around. I turned around, little Joe turned around, little Bobby turned around, Huey goes spread, and, and jacks a shell off into the, that's a weird way to say that, jacks a shell off into the chamber of his gun. Betty Shabazz was moving and gone by then. Kenny Freeman and Douglas Allen had hustled her across the street. Rob Takeover, a big beefy cop. Yeah, you're muted, brah. So many windows open at once. Anyway, your ram's just going. First world Help problem. me! A Help big beefy me. cop moved forward. He had unhooked the strap off of the hammer of his pistol and started shouting at Huey. Don't point that gun at me! Stop pointing that gun at me! He kept making gestures as though he was going to go for his gun, and Huey stopped in his tracks. He was just staring at the cop. Then he walked right up to within a few feet of this fat pig and said, What's the matter? You got an itchy finger? The cop didn't say a thing, he just stood there. You want to draw your gun? Huey asked him. The other pigs were calling for this one cop to cool it, but he didn't seem to hear him. He was looking right at Huey, straight, staring straight into Huey's eyes. Okay, you big fat racist pig, draw your gun. Ah, the cop didn't move. Draw it, you cowardly dog. 
And with that, Huey jacked around off into the chamber of his shotgun. I'm waiting, Huey said, and the man, he just stood there waiting for this pig to make a move toward his gun. All the I other a, cops. I have a technical question real quick. Yeah. Not that I'm judging brother Huey P. Newton. He's probably the best minister of defense that Black Panther Party's ever had. But that's two rounds he's pumped off into that <laughs> shotgun, and he hasn't fired a single fucking one. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that, like, okay, so keep in mind that, like, Bobby Seal was telling this story with a tape recorder. Okay, fair. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I caught that too, figured he was just reiterating in further detail what he'd already mentioned. You know, like it's just, an essay and shit. Like, tell him what you're going to tell him, then you tell him, and then you tell him what you told him. I, I and I get that. I just. <laughs> Something in me, the the firearms expert in me went, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, right. Pump actions only hold one at a time. Right. All of the other cops moved back out of the line of fire. The five of us were spread out behind Huey. Finally, the pig just gave up. He let out a great big sigh and just hung his head. Huey almost laughed in his face and we started backing up slowly. Huey backed up. He went near the wall and I went to the outer edge of the sidewalk near the car. The sidewalks at least <coughs> little joe and little bobby were in the center and another brother got on the out on the outside of the car in line with us and took about six or seven steps at this point roy ballard came running up the street yelling hey don't shoot that gun these cops are gonna kill us they're gonna kill us please don't shoot that gun then the cops started talking about don't you go for your gun don't you go for your gun and so huey said don't you go for your guns I remember repeating behind Huey, I said, that's right, don't you go for your guns. Don't you touch your guns. I had flipped the little strap that went over the hammer on my 38. So we were standing there backing up, stepping off from the pigs, and the pigs were all bunched up. It was a very tense scene. Sounds like a tense fucking scene. Yeah, right? Sounds like a standoff right. we had in Afghanistan. Uh, this was one of the first major confrontations, and we were almost into a righteous shootout. You can think of, uh, you can think about a lot of shootouts. You can think about situations you might be in where there's going to be gunfire and gunfighting with pigs you know are racist. But I knew how Huey felt. If just one of them had gone for his gun, he would have blasted him because Huey had his gun at a 45 degree angle to the ground and he was ready. He had the barrel of the gun in his left hand, his finger up was on the trigger. He had knocked the safety off and jacked around into the chamber. It kind of shook the cops when he rejected that round off into that chamber. Uh, I can imagine. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's probably a 12 gauge. Yeah, yeah, that's it is. It's an intimidating fucking... That's oh, yeah, dude. Like, that's why I think that even though if you have to actually shoot it, a 12 gauge is one of the worst things to have. Uh, for home defense, but like 98% of the time, you're never gonna have to shoot a 12 gauge because be you hear that of a 12 gauge racking and you're gone. I don't care who you are or how big you are or how badass you think you are, a 12 gauge racks and you're gone. <laughs> you start breathing heavy and sweating from places that you didn't know you had sweat glands. We were just backing up then. I wasn't scared or anything like that. You don't even think about it. 
meaning being scared in a situation like that because the situation is so tense. We were stepping off and the cops took three or four steps forward. And then they stopped and realized that we had them. The cops stopped and I said, come on brothers, let's move across the street. We got about halfway up the street, about 50 feet away from them when they started bottling around to our right. This is, this music is really like loud. Let's see if this one's loud. Kind of, but not as loud. There, there we go. Okay. Back at it. Where did I really just, I took off in uh, the middle of a paragraph. Uh, we backed across the street and uh, stopped the traffic coming off and onto the ramp to the Bay Bridge. Traffic was jammed up. I know people in the cars were sitting there wondering what the hell was going on. Who in the hell are these with Radio guns? edit. Who in the hell are these with these guns and the cops all out on the street? My God. My God. I could just oh, imagine. Maybe. Somebody's clutching her pearls like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I could just imagine one of them sitting there in the traffic that couldn't move. We went across the street and got into our cars. Betty Shabazz was gone. Where the fuck did Betty go? She Wasn't she in the in middle? The yeah, she, Kenny Freeman showed up out of nowhere and somebody else and. And took Betty? Yeah, they kind of like sequestered her away as the cops were doing their thing. Mm. We got back there and Huey and the brothers were good. They were all talking about how we had spit on the pigs and how the pigs were all bunched up. Huey was talking about how so many of them were bunched up and how he had a shotgun on their butts and if one of them had gone for their guns. We told how we split and we stood those pigs off. Some 30 out pigs all bunched up on the sidewalk. How they had taken two or three steps and how Huey told them You'd better not go for your gun either. I know Leo and the rest of the dudes standing around there weren't too enthusiastic about the whole thing at all, and I thought that they should have been. I thought they should have been excited about how we'd covered Betty Shabazz, how the pigs went crazy and stuff like that. So we went to the conference in Hunter's Point that night, decided not to speak. We got fed up with the whole thing, man. We were just trying to make guards out of us. They were trying to make guards out of us for some artwork shit sitting around there. They're trying to give us orders. What kind of shit is that? You guys have to be over. Uh, you guys have to be over there this evening, man. At six, there's a lot of art and stuff that people might steal. You guys get over there and uh, guard that stuff. And he said, "Look, we're the security for Betty Shabazz, and we're with Betty Shabazz." So we cut out, went down, and talked to the brothers on the block who were shooting dice. Huey and I wouldn't think about that damn shit artwork in there. What's wrong with them? That's what's wrong with them. They want to put guys up to protecting the cultural nationalistic artwork when they should be organizing the brothers on the block. So me and Huey went down there with some guns and talked with those brothers out there on Hunter's Point, talked to them about joining the party. We told them that we were gonna be out there and how the brothers have got to get together and start arming themselves. We broke up a whole dice game about 20 dudes. Some dudes were high and wanted to be murder mouth and yeah, I'm gonna get a gun. But some of those brothers were serious. They wanted to get in, they wanted to get on with it. There had been riots in Hunter's Point and the pigs had done a lot, had done in a lot, sorry, of the brothers. They had already shot up brothers out of the point. 
uh, brothers and sisters had been murdered and brutalized. And there was bad housing, unemployment, rats and roaches, and hunger. Hunter's Point was a typical black ghetto. We went inside the auditorium where the conference was being held and talked to a bunch of brothers in there who were concerned about why we had guns. Huey ran down the revolutionary program about why we had to defend ourselves, how it was legal then under the laws of California to carry guns and how the right to bear arms is guaranteed to all citizens under the second amendment of the constitution of the United States. He also ran it down how the Black Panther Party was serving, uh, fixing to serve the black community with positive programs like breakfast for children, free health clinics and liberation schools. That's what they should have been talking about inside of that conference called to commemorate the death of Malcolm X. But the thing had been put together by these cultural nationalists who were trying to project themselves as the leaders of the black community while trying to use the Black Panther Party. Actually, they should have called the conference to celebrate Malcolm's birthday rather than to commemorate the day he was assassinated. Those cats didn't know the gun laws. They didn't know that trying to lead people was a dangerous thing. They only came out to the airport with us because Huey had demanded it of them. After that little set in front of Ramparts, we found out that their guns were not loaded. Not loaded, Huey said. You've never seen cats mad like us. The brothers in the party wanted to go over and beat their asses for having unloaded guns. They said, here our lives are on the line for our people and the bastards are trying to manipulate us. If a pig had started shooting, they would have run. I'm out with these drive intellectual cultural nationalists. That became a real thing in distinguishing the brothers off the block and those who only talk. Those who have their intellectual possessions and ponder the man, the power structure of this racist capitalist system. That's when David Hillier said they're paper panthers, jive punk paper panthers. Yeah. They sound like some jive punk paper motherfuckers. Yeah, dude. Um, so I, I know that we're the the idea of this was kind of tie in dialectical materialism, but I'm gonna go broader than that for this statement. But um, they really are, you know, like their praxis is incredible, dude. They really are putting the things that they're that they're reading about into practice. They're not just they're not just talking about it, or they're not you know like I don't know how to word what I'm trying to say. I guess not only did they have the balls to do it, but they had the balls to well, I don't want to say to see it through because obviously we don't live in. A socialist uh, nation, but um, their their praxis was incredible. I mean, right here in the heart of the beast, for an organization to be regaining control of their communities for their communities is incredible. Especially, especially during the the sixties. I mean, this is during the civil rights movement. Like, I mean, we talk about how racist cops are now. And yeah, of course, the, the power structure itself is racist. But like, how racist the cops are now is nothing compared to 19 fucking 66 or 67. 
Anyway, Eldridge joins the Panthers. Is the next section. Calvin said he got the rest of his teeth taken out. Um, Natalie said that's it besides finances. And to be honest, I'm not very good with tech, still learning. I should know this, but what was the gun laws back then? So in terms of that, basically, if you were on probation, you could not have a pistol and you could not get a concealed carry permit. But um, you can, or could at least, um, open carry a long gun, even if you were on probation. Uh, this is California in 1966 and 67. Now remember when neoliberal hero Ronald Reagan was the governor of California, he pushed very hard for gun control laws to, for, for the purpose of reigning in the Black Panther Party. You mean to tell me the guy that was selling weapons so he could funnel money through Iran to pay for a fucking war that the Americans didn't want to fund had a problem with guns. Okay. And, and yet, he's still worshipped by so many on the right. And it's confusing. I remember when I was on really? probation as a kid. I they one of the last things they had me do to get off probation was I had to write a report about something. So I wrote a report, mm -hmm. a six page essay about how Reagan had started the crack pandemic. I love it. That's and what I, fucks I read up. it in the 81st, 81st district court, like the actual courtroom in front of the judge and everything. I felt so powerful. They tried to cut me off. Yeah. I was like, no, nah, I'm speaking now. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. I know it's, I know we've been live for like an hour, but I'm finally sharing this to some groups. Um, but one of them is a, <laughs> is a, one of them is a Love communism it. and libertarian debate group. So we might get some trolls on the comments if, if we could all, you know, keep an eye on that. Sometimes trolls are fun. I like to troll trolls. <laughs> I mean, this is fair. I mean, this is absolutely fair. I'm I'm Swedish, and my my people have a god whose entire job is going around hitting trolls with a hammer. So, quite literal troll bashing. <laughs> it is. Get them with that it damn is band Thursday. hammer. It is Thursday. I should have saved my uh, yes. my band hammer meme. Mm. So anyway, we're uh, going back to the book now. Eldridge joins the Panthers. Early in 1967, Huey heard Eldridge on the radio. Damn, who is this cat? Huey kept saying, this cat is blowing, man. He's been in prison. Huey related to Eldridge as a Malcolm X coming out of prison. Huey always respected the brothers that came out of prison. He felt 
that he could relate to dudes who came out of prison. That was his whole key. Huey he heard that. This cat's been in prison, man, for nine years. That wrapped him up. He ran down to the radio station that night because Huey said, I'm gonna talk to this cat. He said to Eldridge, man, look, you gotta be in the party. It doesn't make any difference what the name is. That's where it's at. We need you, we want you. He knew Eldridge could rap, and he'd heard that he could write, that he was writing for Ramparts. Huey couldn't write, but you could get Huey cornered and get all his ideas out of his head and then put him on paper. He'll write it if you corner him, but the shit travels fast. Huey understands the need for, for a media. Um, Huey understands skills being functional for black, uh, for black people. That's what Huey wants. He pushed for a Panther newspaper. Kind of a vanguard press, if you will, a vanguard media operation. Uh, and that that's kind of what we're trying to do. Although I heard I, I heard a vanguard. Is it a vanguard of e-girls? <laughs> I mean, e-girl vanguard media uh, does do pretty solid coverage of protests. Actually, yeah. Shout out to e-girl e vanguard media. Yeah. They're not sponsoring Sorry. us, but, you know. No, but they're... Uh... They're, they're kind of following a Marxist-Leninist line, and they, I mean, th that being said, she doesn't just focus on Marxist-Leninist, but, like, she's very focused on the material conditions on the ground, and she's very focused on the dialectical relationship um, in that particular segment of society. So, like, when she's doing interviews, she's trying to find out why they're there, what they hope to change, and how, ultimately. Like, it's not just like a basic CNN interview, like, oh, you're out here speaking for justice, okay, and then they edit a two minute fucking interview into a 30 second clip that doesn't tell you anything. That happened so much with Occupy that it became the general narrative that we didn't know what we were protesting for. No, no, that's not the case at all. The media would just, edit whatever you say to them to make it sound like you don't know what you're talking about. That happens like, a lot, dude. That happens yeah. a lot. I was arrested for carrying a knife at an Occupy protest, right? And when I got out, uh, MLive interviewed me, right? And like, it was like a whole half hour conversation about, uh, you know, like what happened a couple of days before that, that kind of led up to this. And, you know, like, my thoughts on what I actually got arrested for, but what I told, or, but they took one line out of context. They took one line and made it the headline. Dude, so the, the headline was Occupy Flint protesters said arrest doesn't make sense. Dude, this is how bad it is. There's, uh, there's an Army and Air Force vet. His name's Will Willis. He, he was in Beer Fest, and he, he's been the host of a couple of things. Um, Field and Stream interviewed him, right? And the way the interview went is they sent him the questions, and he typed up his answer and sent it back. And he kept his copy of the answers that he typed up. They took all the shit he said out of context and cut away major details for shit to the point where people were questioning his service because no one 
no one that was reading it knew that back in Will's day when you went to, it was very typical for dudes that were in Ranger Battalion to not have gone through Ranger School yet. It was also very typical for people to get out and then join another branch of service. And like they edited all that, I was, sorry. Not trying to derail the uh, the reading. No, man, I got you. Just <laughs> tying in how bad media narratives can be. And that was the whole reason we started doing this, is because the narrative on just about any issue is fucked. I love this beat, dude. Oh, yeah, dude, this is 17 hours of uh, copyright-free funk music. Oh, Dude, this one screams like 70s oh, yeah. TV show or something. Like, I would expect <laughs> to hear this on the gong show. No, nah, I was thinking, like, one of them cop show, one of them, one of them old cop shows, like MacGyver or... Oh, my God, no, like, uh... What was the one where Kips. he had the... <laughs> yeah! With the yellow barracuda? Is that the one you're talking about? No, I'm talking about the one that's the pigs on bikes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reno 911. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That I've actually better. never watched. Those are, those are the only cops that I trust. That makes sense. Anyway, he pushed for a Panther newspaper. That's why we got a hold of Eldridge when we heard him on the radio that night. Eldridge told us, look, I just got out of prison and I'm check checking around. I'm trying to see what's happening. I said to Huey, this, 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 this from prison, this is tired of shit. This like a Malcolm X to us and boom, this can write. One day, a few months later, Huey and I were in Eldridge's apartment. Eldridge had a leather jacket and a beret on. He said, fuck it, I'm in the Panther Party. That's all there is to it. Hell yeah. I didn't know him then. I was looking at him and I was saying, well, fuck it. This is just another saying he's in the party. But boom, we get to pounding out that first little leaflet. And that began to mean something. Next thing I know, we're over at Beverly Axelrod's house and we're pounding out a paper, man. So I said, this here is where it's at. Huey related to Eldridge more than I did initially. I just had a tendency to follow Huey. I was never ashamed of the fact that I always followed Huey. I just followed him and listened to him and tried to understand what he was saying. If I disagreed with him, I tried to disagree properly. And I just want to interject here to say that this is something that the left today, I can't speak firsthand about them, but this is something the left today really struggles with. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to disagree. Right. But when he says, I tried to disagree properly, he's talking about having comradely discussions. He's talking about having a two-way conversation, trying to find a middle ground. And when I say find a middle ground, I'm not meaning like the Republicans and Democrats because you don't negotiate with fascists, but you do have comradely discussions and you do negotiate with your comrades. I have a quick interjection. I've yeah. figured out where I've heard this music, what vibes this music's thrown off. I don't know if either of you have ever seen this, but this reminds me of Shaft. Never seen it. Yeah. Shaft's when, when, one bad when motherfucker. The, when this piece of this 
bigger projects started and it was just a hi-hat, I was thinking it was about to start playing some fucking Black Sabbath and I was about to mute it. Oh, man. No, it reminds me of like I'm just Shaft thinking, or Black Anyway. Sorry. Eldridge later told us that when he came out of the penitentiary, he was wired up behind Malcolm X. Malcolm was teaching that it was necessary to pick up the gun. Eldridge had been running around repeating what Malcolm had said, but he didn't just he didn't know that there were some that had already picked up the gun. He didn't know it until February when we started planning for sister Betty Shabazz's visit. Marvin Jackman and all those dudes were hiding it. They wouldn't tell Eldridge about us. Eldridge said that when he saw all his brothers with guns already and organized, it didn't take him any time at all to relate to that. The only thing he didn't want to give up was the name that Malcolm X had for his organization. I did not mean to click that. The Organization of Afro-American Unity, or OAAU. But then he said the name thing was complicated because Malcolm's sister had taken it and incorporated it. There was so much confusion and so many phony people had gotten involved in the OAAU that when he tried to organize the Black House, he was sick of it already. So he just started moving with the party, going everywhere, making all the scenes. He was relating to it and functioning, but he still had some reservations. Eldridge just couldn't understand how it could happen. How we pulled this shit off or why would be crazy enough to go out there in the streets. It looked unbelievable. Which I wanna interject here to say, it probably did look unbelievable. Can you imagine how suburban white Americans fucking felt about it? Or how they thought it looked? Why do you think that all of us growing up were told that the Black Panther Party is a black supremacist organization and that they were a racist group, a racist hate group. These are the things that we were taught in school. Why is that? Because it had white people uncomfortable. That's my take on it, anyway. Eldridge said it scared him. That's we're just what it... grooving out over here. Indeed. <laughs> Eldridge said it scared <laughs> him. That's what it did. It scared Eldridge. <laughs> He said that when Malcolm was teaching, he was just dealing with rhetoric about how we had to organize the gun club. We had to do this, we had to have these guns, etc. He said it was abstract and he couldn't visualize it. Or if he did visualize it, he visualized the whole damn army, the black, the black race armed. But then when he saw us out here in the process of organizing, he saw about 10, 12 dudes with some guns and he saw all those pigs. It looked like we didn't have a chance. It looked hopeless, but then many times it looked so beautiful and inspiring that he just had to relate to it. What turned all that around for Eldridge was that first scene when the brothers escorted uh, sister Betty Shabazz from the airport and came by ramparts. That had a huge impact, a huge influence on him. He said he didn't believe it even after he witnessed it. He said it was like observing pure instinct. What was so important to him was that when those pigs came by there, there were sisters and brothers on the street, and the Minister of Defense stepped forward, the shield between his people and the pigs, jacked off that round into his shotgun, and put his life on the line. That was it, Eldridge said. That was me, there. Um, does anybody want to um, take a whack at the death of Denzel Dowell? I was actually wanting to know if we wanted to leave that for next week. 
I mean, we haven't even, we've only been on for that. Well, yeah, not quite an hour and a half. And by the time we do the closing stuff, it will be. And that's, well, hold that's on. what let these me... ones have been running. Yeah, which that's the goal. But let me see if this is the last chapter in the section or whatever. It's a really long one. Natalie, I'm going to address your comment in the comment section. I um, I wasn't actually playing along with the music. I was playing my own funk um, on top of that, and it did not fit. That's why I stopped. I couldn't quite place the note that they were starting on. I couldn't place the root note, so I couldn't figure it out. Um, James, the only Zeppelin I know is Immigrant Song, and I'm not about to play it. But can you do that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I come from the land of the ice and snow where the midnight sun and the hot springs blow. Hammer of the gods. No, so I, <laughs> if it wasn't so damn long, I would really like to read The Death of Denzel Dowell, but it's a very long section. But the next chapter or which one's bigger, a chapter or a section? How do I refer to these things? Uh, chapters are bigger. Uh, this would be a section or okay. a sub. So the next chapter is picking up the gun. Uh, and, and the first section of that is called with guns in the state capitol. That is actually the event that led to Ronald Reagan pushing so hard for gun control laws. But and that's where I would like to pick up next time, but I we there's like that's a really long section. It's like eight, nine pages long. Ten, ten pages long. So I think that we will um, just start at the death of Denzel Dowell on page eighty-one when we pick up next time. Hell yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Ah. So uh yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you something, Rob. Yo. Best version of immigrant song. Is it the school of rock version or the original version? The school of rock version, bro. Okay, okay. Yeah, even, though it's, this. even though it's only a small piece of the song. Yeah, it, it's what I hear when it starts. I just... I'm sorry. I know that that was in no way connected to anything we've talked about tonight. I just... <laughs> That's okay. Is there anything that anybody wants to say in retrospect, though? It surprises me... It surprises me less how much things haven't changed. Like that that's not what surprises me. The things that have changed surprise me. Because nowadays Huey would have gotten shot the first time he fucking stepped out of the car with the M1. Well, I mean honestly, it probably would have erupted into more of like a, a war, honestly. I mean, at least I, I a full-scale yeah, firefight. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, they might have been able to take out Huey, but I think True. the other side would be looking at more 
losses then. It it's just I don't know, the things that have changed are what surprised me the most. Yeah, like uh like the gun control laws that Okay, and I'm sorry if this is going to be an unpopular thing with anybody that might be watching, but here's the thing about gun laws. They disproportionately, disproportionately, sorry, affect people of color. They always have. They were designed to do so. They were literally designed as an affront to the Black Panther Party. You can't just ignore that. I mean, yeah, it sounds good. Oh, let's get the guns off our streets. It sounds good, but that's not how the world works. Did this move to Ska? Uh, this is still on that <laughs> fun playlist. Jason, I don't know who you are, but you're right. A cab. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Thirteen. Twelve. My favorite part about working at Tim Hortons was being a baker because every time I had to make a dozen, I'd just make thirteen because bakers don't fuck with twelve. <laughs> Natalie said, "This is obviously like fifteen minutes ago. I, I'll, I'll just pick up where I left off." Reaganomics: the beginning of issuing credit cards to the middle class and debt loading and big banks. Ah. Uh, what a neoliberal paradise we live in, huh? And then she said, who would have thought the press would take your words out of context? <laughs> James said, it's all a hoax. Uh, it's all a hoax, fake news. And uh, Natalie said, chips, like the show. James said, nice beeps. Oh yeah? Yeah, James? Well, you. No, I'm, I'm just playing, man. We love you. Natalie said, I think that's the first time you've ever edited out the word <laughs> fuck. It probably is. I mean, right? I'm surprised, though, that I can, you know, like. I'm, I'm proud of you for figuring out that there's a delay in that fucking thing. Yeah. I was really hoping that you were going like, to. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Like bad live TV <laughs> editing. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, Jason, welcome to the stream. I hope you enjoyed it. Man, that, um, that James said life. they wouldn't have even told him why they stopped him. Just knee to the neck. The world is getting worse every day. And Oh, uh, hold on. I was reading Natalie's thing. Okay, so, James, that is exactly what led me to radicalization. I was a Bernie bro in 2016. In 2020, I had a little less hope, but I was still very pro-Bernie. Obviously, both times I voted for the Green Party. I'm involved in the Green Party. I believe in the Green Party's cause. However, reforms can be overturned. Look at the New Deal. It doesn't fucking exist anymore. And that's, that's just an American example that I can give you. But I mean, Lenin wrote at great lengths about the failures of reformism. And there was a hundred and something years of European history on that note. So, you know, um, that, is, that is really, the world getting worse every day is really what pushed me 
continues to push me more and more towards a Marxist-Leninist line. I do believe, I, I'm starting to really see the necessity of a vanguard party. Would the black community be rising up today if they didn't have the, the, the program of the Black Panther Party literally steeped into their culture? I mean, there was 35 million Americans that took to the streets last year for the Black Lives Matter protests. That is 35 million Americans pursuing the struggle for liberation. The world living in this capitalist dystopian hellscape <laughs> is what pushed me so far left. And I have no regrets about that. Natalie said, question. Is the original for We Are Many Facebook group still active? It came up when I was in Facebook on Fire Tab, and I can't get it to show when an app on iPhone. I thought you had changed the group name to the Education and Discussion Group, so I've been sending all posts and memes to that group. I did rename it. I'm not sure why it's still showing up as the old name on your, on your Fire Tab. That's kind of weird, but it is called the uh, For We Are Many Education and Discussion Group now. Um, by the way, this is a good time to plug it. If any of you are on Facebook, most of you are. You're the, these are the comments we interact with during the stream. Uh, like our page. It's literally the page that is streaming this right now. Um, invite your friends to like our page. Share the video. Comment on it. Uh, anything that will help Facebook's jive-ass algorithm put us into people's news feeds without paying them money. Anyway, uh, that being said, we're on Facebook. We have two groups. One's the mutual, the For We Are Many mutual aid organizing group. The idea is if you... What the fuck? Yeah, what the hell was that? That was weird. It was weird as hell. <laughs> Natalie said, thought I was hallucinating when I saw the old group. I mean, maybe you were, who knows? No, I'm just playing. Um, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, we're uh, the, the mutual aid organizing group is for people who wanna be involved in mutual aid organizing uh, group or <laughs> organizing, oh my God, for people who want to be involved with mutual aid organizing, there we go. If you're involved with some groups that are on the ground doing mass work, post about it. Let us know. Let other people see that there are people doing this. Uh, I will I will take from a, a bit of anarchist propaganda here, but the propaganda of the deed is a really, really big thing. Um, and I mean, why shouldn't the deed be helping our, feather, our fellow, fellow, why can I not talk all of a sudden? Wow. If the deed is helping our fellow men and women and non-binary comrades, if our deed is making the world a better place, what better propaganda is there than that? Um, let's see. We also have the education and discussion group. The idea there is to share educational things or current news stories, things that you think other comrades should know about. And then we discuss them. Pretty self-explanatory. We're on Twitter, at For We Are Many Two. 
Uh, we also stream every time that we're streaming on Facebook, pretty much. We're also streaming on Twitter, Twitch. Uh, I don't remember the link for Twitch. YouTube for We Are Many Podcast and for WeAreMany.org. Uh, if you like what we're doing, by all means, message me or Don or Trisha or message the page directly. Send us a fucking email. If you have any of our address, write us a letter in snail mail. I don't care. If you want to get involved, let us know. We have a whole bunch of things that we want to do, but we, <laughs> we just don't have the manpower right now. So if you want to be a talking head, cool. If you want to make art for us, cool. If you want to make music for us, cool. Shit, if somebody makes us a jingle, I'm down to pay for it. If you want to videotape me working out in my backyard so we can post it to the For We Are Many um, Fortress of Swallitude page that doesn't exist, I'm just <coughs> I'm sorry. But man, before we, before but we, we go, all though, know, but we all know that Howie Hawkins is the Swallitarian candidate. Listen, right? my goal is to either be as big or bigger than Howie Hawkins by the time he runs for president next. I'm going to get them gains. Hey, before we go, can I read you guys a uh, excerpt from a New York, New York Times article in 1894? Sure. Okay. There is not the slightest doubt that bicycle riding leads to weakness of mind, general lunacy, and homicidal mania. What? Oh, God. Always an awkward sign-off. Listen, all I'm saying is <laughs> we should probably ban assault bikes. Um, anything anything with that anything with six gears, that, that's an assault bike. And it, who needs a high-capacity assault bike? Sorry, the only thing I've ever attacked on my 10-speed was the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I attacked I attacked that one that one road in Grand Blanc with the uh, the grocery getter one time, so it, I get it. You did. You attacked the bottom of the hill. Yeah. Well. Very hard. It looked at me wrong, and you know, I just my hyper masculinity just couldn't take that. Look at them fucking guns. <laughs> look at that. Look at them nipples. Chad Howie Hawkins. Some texts are great. Yeah, dude, for real. Okay, so, like, this is the thing, though. Like, he was a lifelong teamster. He was a fucking, like, truck loader and unloader for, like, 30 years. Of course he's fucking red. Not not to dick ride, but to dick ride a little bit. He looks like the statue of Hercules. <laughs> I could see it. You know, honestly, one of the things that I really like about this picture, let me pull it back up. One of the things that I really like about this picture, right, is this dude right here. Yeah, just clapping for him. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. That cop looks photoshopped for some reason, and I can't tell you quite exactly what it is that makes him look like. I don't know. My brain is screaming that he's fake. Long sleeves. He's just wearing sleeves. that human suit. It's the long sleeves. I think the long sleeves are throwing me off. I don't know, dude. I think it could be an alien in an an alien in an Edgar suit. Right. That's what I'm thinking. I'm the, still the human suit doesn't quite suit him because of my most recent acid trip. I'm still convinced that uh, uh, 
oh, what's his name? Not Russell Brand. The other British guy that I, the one that I can't stand. He does the X Factor and America's Got Talent. Oh, that douchebag. Simon Cowell. Simon, he's an, yes. he, he is an iguana in a poorly made human outfit. I really wish you wouldn't disrespect iguanas like that. Iguanas All right, so like, creatures. I imagine that that cop moves like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he moves like that. Exactly like that. Mouth and everything. <laughs> it is Edgar. We're gonna get shut down for this, Rob. You gotta stop. That was here. that was that was less than thirty seconds. We good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it has the copyright discri- disclaimer, all rights reserved, on the bottom. Sheesh. Beautiful. So uh, I think that about wraps it up. But um, partially to encourage ourselves to finish the goddamn song, I have something that I want to share with you guys. Oh. Um, oh and, shit! And Don and Trisha already know what it is. Oh shit! <laughs> the, oh shit! Mm-hmm. Is this the, this is the one that I didn't do bass on yet, right? Okay. So before I uh, get too deep into that, I just wanted to say thank you all for tuning in. We love you. Um. Yes, thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been as fun as it always is. I might not look like I'm having fun, but I'm actually enjoying myself, and it's a healthy distraction from the things that I have going on in my life currently. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Which, by the way, Trisha, mm-hmm. I need to fill you in on some things when we get off this. I'll message you and let you know what's up. Okay. 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 So about... Three and a half minutes. Yeah, indeed. Um, this song currently does still not have a name, but uh, we called it the Fam or uh, Fwam Bam Abuse. Don't matter when they sold the devil, yo! 
reflections. We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. Just don't worry about it. Learn how to use my...